The Voices of Search podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything podcast network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Bridge Toll, California, customer service number. Highway miles to the gallon, Ford Focus. Thailand cave rescue operation. What is schema F? Best wine bars in San Carlos, California. Best Western hotels. How old is Ronaldo? What happened with Big Brother? What's a good engagement? How long before a wedding should I send out save the dates? Use IMAP to check email on other email clients. Identify fonts from where to find. We were four years Welcome to the Voices of Search podcast and I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we'll share the news, knowledge, and strategies you need to navigate the ever-changing world of SEO. Ready to expedite your company's organic growth efforts? Sit back, relax, and get ready for your daily dose of search engine optimization wisdom. Here's today's host of the Voices of Search podcast, Tyson Stockton. Hey, what's going on? My name is Tyson Stockton from previsible.io and joining me today is Donna Donahue, who is the search engine optimization specialist at Entila Scientific. Entila Scientific is a leading provider of innovative scientific solutions for various industries. Today, Donna and I are going to be discussing local SEO versus enterprise e-commerce SEO. And with that, here's my conversation with Donna Donahue search engine optimization specialist at Antila Scientific. And this podcast is also sponsored by Ahrefs. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings at no costs? Sounds too good to be true? Well, it's not. Because my friends at Ahrefs just launched Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. Ahrefs' new Webmaster Tools product quickly helps you improve your site's visibility by pointing solutions to over 100 technical issues that might be holding your search performance down. Plus, AWT monitors for backlinks so you'll know the most linked to pages and how those links are affecting your rankings. And AWT shares what keywords your website ranks for and compares how you stack up against competitors for key metrics like search volume, keyword difficulty, and traffic value. Look, monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools. And now, thanks to Ahrefs, that's not the case anymore because AWT will help you monitor your SEO health, backlinks, and keywords for free. And no, it's not one of those 14-day free trial offers. It's a powerful site audit tool that will keep working for you for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. Donna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Tyson. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, so it's an interesting subject, local SEO, enterprise e-commerce. I think for myself, I'm probably a little more biased on the enterprise e-commerce side. So I'm looking forward to kind of Hearing from your perspective and your experience across working across both these facets within SEO, some of the differences, but maybe just to set up the listeners for the conversation, what would be some of the bigger differences or kind of noticeable uniqueness between working on local SEO versus enterprise e-commerce? Well, I think the most noticeable one for me is that Google's uh, ranking factors for local SEO is 
even though they still focus on all of the main uh, algorithm or the ranking factors, they're much more targeted when you're dealing with a local SEO because you've got those main pillars that you need to hit relevance, proximity, and prominence. And so it's using those um, those signals as the main signal. And you know, the larger the qualifier, the more detailed the qualifier is, the closer you're going to get to that um, golden goose, which is the Google business profile, which of course um, was the main bread and butter for most local businesses. Uh, if that panel happens to go down for any reason, you should see a suspension, then uh, local businesses are definitely going to feel that pain. My, my experience with that is that it would refer anywhere, depending on the size of the company, that it would refer anywhere from 40 to 80% of organic traffic to a business's site. So in, in that respect, that Google My Business, which I, I still call it Google My Business because I, it just makes sense to me, that is almost your homepage anymore because you can absolutely optimize that to the nth degree and have every up to even scheduling appointments on the Google My Business Profile or Google Business Profile. So that's a pretty powerful tool and it's free. So uh, there's that piece of it. But then at the same time, you know, if you're dealing with service area businesses, which is where I was at, you do still have to pay attention to making sure that your actual web page or website speaks to that Google business profile panel. And that could be uh, spinning up local pages. You know, if you've got an HVAC, if you're, uh, I don't know, servicing Gilbert, Arizona, I'm, I'm from Mesa, Arizona, and you're servicing the East Valley, you want to make sure that you've got service area pages that match your service area in that Google business profile. So then the flip side of that is when you go to large e-commerce, you're really going for a larger audience because you're no longer a local business. Now you could be United States wide. And I used to work for U-Haul, so we were United States and Canada. But at the same time, we still acted like a local business because each one of those particular locations had their own Google My Business profile as well. So it was a, a mashup of both, but we had to, you know, we had to learn how are we going to speak to the global and then how are we going to speak to the local in that. So then you go to where I'm at now and we're not only United States, but we're global. And I don't mean Canada. I mean, we're in France and we're in England and we're in and we have different parts of our business and, you know, smaller entities that operate out of the UK and places like that. So how do you get one large website to speak to that? I guess the approach that I'm taking is to really kind of focus on uh, education as well as product, you know, have education pages that lead to product pages. I lean really heavily on that pillar content strategy to get people to the category and to the product pages. And then the paid search efforts are very specific to product. So uh, whereas in the local space, we're going for those top of the funnel keywords, 
and driving people through that user experience on the site. And then you go to where I'm at now, where I'm focusing more on long tail bottom of the funnel keywords, trying to get people to the end of the line, add that uh, cryogenic grinder into their chart or into their cart and then check out. (laughs) And then if they need the um, consumable pieces of it, they want to come back. So we want to focus on uh, making, uh, we have a really great UX team. We want to make sure that the experience for our customer now is just as seamless as possible so that they become repeat customers. So that is the main the main difference is where in the funnel are you trying to target your audience? And knowing your audience is really important as well. And I think the other large call out that I could say is that traffic is not traffic when you're talking about large e-commerce versus local. Because if, um, for example, if my air conditioner is leaking water, and I search, you know, my air conditioner is leaking water. I might end up on a blog post that is in Florida, for example. And it's a great article and I read it, but the company who's going to get the attribution for that article because I know that it needs to be fixed is a company here that's local to me. But the company in Florida did a better job of writing information, I'm never going to convert to a Florida company, even though they put out the better piece of content. And so the conversion is a little bit, you know, you, you rarely see blogs in that space lead to conversion, the conversion rate of them, high traffic, low conversion. Whereas in the space that I'm in now, the traffic and the conversion are a little more consistent with one another because we're writing things that speak to the large audience. So we're, you know, a scientist that's uh, working for this pharmaceutical company versus that pharmaceutical company. It really kind of doesn't matter who's landing on that blog. The intent is the same. They both need that same piece of equipment. And so the conversion rate should be higher um, in accordance with the long form content. So I think that those are the largest differences that I see between them. I mean, you've been an SEO for a while. You would know that SEO is kind of SEO. It's, it's, um, the concepts are all the same. It's just how do you target? Absolutely. And I, I think too, it's like, say that it's like we have three different areas of, I mean, even you touched on within this, like you have the more local SEO that has like the Google My Business factors. Maybe there's some other, let's call it like weighting of factors where, you know, maybe links are viewed as being a little bit different within a local environment versus a national. And then there's the enterprise, like national e-commerce, I mean, any industry, but then you kind of also keep getting bigger and bigger. And then at the international, it almost revisits some elements of local where you have nuances in language, the local signals within each of kind of like those respective markets. And so then I feel like that's even a whole nother beast in its own right. And the way that I would approach a multinational across different markets and countries 
is going to be probably a little bit different than maybe how I would look at it if it's just US based or kind of like one market based. And so I think, and I mean, we were chatting even just before this, like that was one of the things that, you know, sounds like it attracted both of us to the discipline is that dynamic nature and like complexities to it where, yeah, we're all playing the same SEO game here, but maybe there's a little bit different rules within local versus enterprise or something else where it's almost like variations of the same sport, whether it's like indoor versus outdoor soccer or like softball versus baseball. It's, you're, you're playing the same sport, but there are some little differences, nuances and rules and things that you might and some tactics that you might put into play in those different kind of arenas. I, I think so. And one of the things you just touched on that sparked me to mention this is backlinks, uh, link building. I'm not a link building specialist. I like I would definitely find somebody else to do that for me. <laughs> I don't have that kind of time. But you always hear people talking about, oh, we have to get those really high authoritative backlinks and we have to build those. In the local space, high authority domains are not as relevant to local search, building that prominence, which is a vote of, you know, confidence as it is in a larger site, right? Because you might have a little pizza place that backlinks to your organization because you donated money to them for their little league team. Google sees that as an authoritative link, even though it's domain authority. But um, if we could use that metric, um, it's authoritative to the local space. Now, you switch to the scientific community, a backlink from a university for us, which is highly authoritative, or a government site linking to us. Those are the backlinks that we want to go after. You know, Schmo Pizza Place is not going to be getting a backlink from the Library of Congress. So I don't know this for a fact because I don't think Google's real great and very um, transparent when it comes to their uh, ranking factors. But I feel like they almost wouldn't even pay any attention to that because it's not relevant. It's not relevant to the local business. And so when I when I was looking at backlink profiles for my clients, it was like, no, these are these are good links. These are building your prominence, you know, even though it might have a domain relevance of two, three, you can't just disavow those because they're small. And if you if you rely strictly on your tools instead of intuition, you're going to be let down every time because, you know, HRFs and SEMrush will tell us that that pizza place has like no domain authority at all but it's a really good backlink to this business. A backlink from that same pizza place is going to mean nothing to the company I work for now. Yeah, and it's, it is such a good illustration. And it's like within the local arena, it's more of, in, in some ways, like a trust signal of like the area of focus and operation and getting that pizza place backlink or getting a backlink from a local softball team that happens to have a website, it shows like the local nature and how 
connected you are in that location that you're kind of on. And then in the national, as you're explaining, but then I think a similar illustration is you go to the multilingual, multinational. Back when I was, you know, working on e-commerce across sports specialty in Europe, you know, I would need to have links to the Spanish site within Spain, links from the French site within French domains, German within German domains. And so it's like, again, slightly different tactics, but then the same concept. And I think that's like one of the reasons that when I'm working with or kind of like coaching like other SEOs, I like to focus on some of the more theoretical elements because if you understand kind of theoretical, then you can apply that to these different facets or nuances. Or if you just learn great tactics of, I need a domain with high domain authority, that's not necessarily going to represent if you change the arena that you're operating in. And so I think it's a really good illustration of just that theoretical understanding of search and how things work, and then being able to apply that to a business, apply that to a strategy within an organization. I think that that's why SEO is so appealing to people who are very um, artistic as well as logical, because it's to me, it's the perfect mix of using that creative mindset because you have to be creative, but at the same time, you need to be able to apply logic to that creativity. You know, I have this problem. How can I solve for that problem and how does it fit into the equation? And I, I really love that equally left and right brain. I would be the perfect web designer (laughs) if I liked that sort of thing, because I can design and I can code. The Holy Grail. So, the Holy Grail. <laughs> but I, yeah, if I if I enjoyed that, which I don't. So. Mm-hmm. So maybe within this a bit more, having experience working in kind of like both of these arenas, like for you, is it more of this is new, this is interesting, this is like a new challenge, or? spending time in both is there ones that you're like yeah that's really like the more fun space for me to work in how's your preference between these two arenas i would say that at one point in time i would have told you that the only thing i wanted to work on was local seo because i loved optimizing that uh, google business profile from top to bottom and making it beautiful and that was my specialty and i was really good at it now that i'm in the space that i'm in now i would have to say that i wouldn't go back i would not go back to uh the local space i'll always stay on top of it because you never know what life is going to bring you and I have, you always have to keep your ear to the ground, so to say. But I find this not only exciting and, cha- and ever-changing, but the challenge that it provides with such a large site. And I have a lot more um, aha moments working in the space that I'm in now. So there's a problem, and I love to research And so I spend a lot of time researching how to fix certain things. And then I find a lot more of those aha moments, which I live for. And it's a good feeling when you find that aha moment, you fix something. And then within, you know, 
however much time it takes Google to grab that, that you see that that aha moment led to increased results. And so I definitely prefer what I'm doing now. I can't really put an exact finger on it. I just, I never thought I would enjoy e-commerce SEO. I remember going to a conference in Maui and I was talking to the director of SEO for Wayfair. Mm. And I was like, oh, I just don't know how you can handle e-commerce SEO because Wayfair is a huge site, right? And she said, it's a heck of a lot easier than local SEO. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that stuck with me. And so when I started doing this, I had reached out to her on LinkedIn. I was like, remember that conversation we had? She said, yeah. And I said, you were right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you're right it's not easier i would not say that it's easier i would just say that it's different time for a one minute break to hear from our sponsor previsible so you're looking for seo help and you got a couple of options you could start replying to spam from agencies that claim they can get you to rank number one on google you can pay an hourly rate for a consultant who will inevitably nickel and dime you with hourly charges or you can work with a cookie cutter agency to quickly launch a strategy-less project with low success rate. None of those sound very good, now do they? Well, that's where Previsible's integrated consulting model comes in. Previsible draws from a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to unlock your organic growth opportunities. They build custom solutions that combine strategy, technical expertise, content, and reporting to effectively operationalize SEO for your business. Previsible's four-stage approach ensures that your SEO programs thrive by starting off with a strategy-first approach. Then they support you in your efforts to create quality content, help you identify technical issues, and most importantly, they'll work with your cross-functional teams to integrate your SEO strategies to make sure that your SEO budget actually drives results, not just your agency's bottom line. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, Square, all who rely on the SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's previsible, P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. Mm -hmm. So with that transition, and I think there's nuances to each and you kind of, you get used to playing in one area and then it's always like a little bit of a challenge to make that contextual switch. And a lot of times when I've worked with SEOs and they're making that transition from maybe it's local to enterprise, or maybe even it's working on a smaller website to a larger website. I feel like there's always that transitional moment to operating more at scale and working with more page templates and larger, more scalable kind of initiatives, if you will, versus a lot of times on, I mean, depending on the business, but a lot of times in local SEO, it's going to be smaller pages in nature and kind of like just a different way of operating. How was the transition for you, like more specifically to that kind of like operating at scale? And would you have any recommendations for other SEOs that are maybe also making that transition into how do I operate with a hundred thousand million pages versus maybe a thousand or a few hundred pages on a website? The best advice I could give there, but now also remember that I'm coming back to enterprise. I started out as an enterprise and went small and now I'm back to enterprise. But 
the thing that used to frustrate me about enterprise does not frustrate me now because the best advice that I can give is that you have to learn to let it go. Control what you can and let go what you can't because the sheer reality of it is when you're dealing with millions of possibly millions of pages, you have to use some sort of templated content, right? Mm -hmm. The the best thing also is, you know, work with those developers to help them determine what that templated content is going to look like, what is going to be best practice. Like it used to be best practice to put brand at the beginning of a meta title. And then it moved to best practices, you know, put brand at the end of the meta title. And now is like, we'll just leave brand off the meta title altogether because URL is always already saying it, which is to me, I always thought that just kind of made sense. And so, you know, work with those developers to try to help them understand what is the best use of that templated content. Because the reality is you're never going to be able to go in and change every single meta title or H1 on 80,000 products. You have to just learn to let go. And, you know, there's enough that we are able to influence that while if the world were perfect, then I were queen. And I could wave a magic wand and I could say, let, you know, I'm superwoman. I'll just go ahead and optimize all 80,000 of these meta titles. I'll write them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's never going to happen. Right. So um, that's just experience has led me to, you know, like we're not performing uh, brain surgery here. We're just trying to sell some stuff. So let go of what you can't control and control what you can. Such good advice. So that I think that that's that's why. Well, I've had to live it. I can get pretty intense about the way I want things, and but I was spending a lot of time frustrated, and I was like, either change your circumstance or change how you look at it. So I chose to change how I look at things. That's it, and it's 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 definitely something that I think sounds easier than it is like especially for the perfectionists out there it's like that's me you definitely have to (laughs) yeah you have to you have to balance that like scale and reach to perfection and yeah if you're doing page by page you can you can be that perfectionist and then sometimes when you're operating at such large scale you have those kind of give and takes the other piece that i would say is you know, be interesting to kind of hear your perspective on this is I've also seen a lot of times when SEOs make the transition from a smaller site to a larger site, the additional factor of call it like crawl efficiency, crawl bandwidth of the site, where if you have a small website, everything's probably pretty much going to be indexed and it's really easy to know and see that's indexed. But then Especially within e-commerce, the number of sites that I've seen that just have issues with pagination, different facets on SRP type pages, and stuff that kind of just bogs down what Google's looking at or how the website is. And so I think that that crawl efficiency becomes such a more prevalent and like significant element to, to consider in making that transition that 
to me, it's not as as present or as challenging when you're working with a smaller site. And it's so common within the e-commerce space, given the filters and category type pages, you know, in some cases could create almost like infinite combinations of pages. Well, we actually just dealt with a similar situation. And um, actually, it was probably Joe Hall that gave me the best advice as to how to handle this. First of all, Google really doesn't um, penalize for pagination anymore. But I still have made sure that the um, directives within the code are correct. It's like making sure that it knows what was before and what was next. But when you're talking about um, filtering and reading, I call them these weird query strings. That's, that's, that's my technical term, weird query strings. You know, when you filter and then you've got something other than the clean URL. They were being blocked with a no, the, the left-hand rail had a no follow directives on internal links. And at the same time, these query strings and or filter strings were also being blocked by robots.txt. And so it took me a little bit of time to really kind of sort that out with my, and I'll, I'll own it. If I don't know something, I'll own it. But I always say I'm not magic. I just know people who are. So what we actually did was we removed the nofollow links off of the left-hand rail because we were losing, you know, some trustworthiness by not having follow links. Uh, at the time, it was a solution to a very much needed problem because of the size of the site. And um, if anybody that I work with is is hearing this, I hope I don't get into trouble. Um, <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm not I'm really not giving strategy. I'm talking more, more um, nuance. And so then that odd kind of string is uh, canonicalized to the higher level category page or product page. And then the robot.txt is removed. Um, the blocking of robot.txt is removed. And the only time that I would probably kind of worry about that blocking something at the robot.txt level is if you are worried about indexation, if you are worried about crawl budget and those kinds of things. But I think that unless your site is absolutely insane, um, I don't think that m most sites at least any that I have experience with have to really kind of worry about crawl budget. And um, Joe had said, let it crawl everything. Let it just crawl everything unless you're worried about crawl budget. If you're not worried about crawl budget, then just let it crawl everything. And then if you're worried about crawl budget, then go ahead and, and block it at robot.txt. So that was a recent change. And so we'll see how that performs for us. But I'm fairly certain we're going to see an uplift in traffic by cleaning up those internal links. But it is it was definitely a challenge going from a small site to a large site and just be like, I don't know what to do with this. Um, because what seems simple to me, like, well, this is just a simple fix, right? And then you go in to talk to um developers and the people who implemented these things or before them implemented these things. 
And then you find out the nuances as to why, why it has to be that way. And because if you don't, then you're putting, you know, taxation on your servers and you have to be very conscious of that as well. And then you're like, oh, okay, now I have to go back to the drawing board and I have to try to figure out how to solve for this problem so that we're not crashing our server by redirect all 5 million URLs overnight. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's it's also worth noting in, especially in the enterprise space, there's not always one right solution to these things. Correct. And when I used to, <clears throat> I mean, even still now, if I'm working with SEOs and kind of teaching about crawl budget and some of those things, and sometimes highlight a few different examples of websites and how they're approaching it. And I think like two just kind of like really obvious examples is like, Wayfair, which we touched on. And so they go from the category name within it for kind of like more of the the parent category. And then they go SB0, SB1, SB2, with the number of facets being applied to the page. And then you reach a point that it switches over to a filters directory that then everything's blocked. And so when you get into those multiple filter combinations, you get down to maybe one product, maybe there's no product. So it's not a valued page to have crawled and indexed. Whereas you go to a website like eBay, completely different approach to the same problem or issue where you'll see a parameter tag. And it's been quite a while, but I believe it's like NC equals RT. And so whenever you have those multiple combinations of facets that then warrants like a low inventory or a page that doesn't need to be in the index, then you'd have it blocked by the parameter. And it's not to say, and I think back to one of your earlier points, knowing kind of when to let it go or do that, there's typically going to be some sort of, you know, architecture limitation or area that could lead one to be the best answer for that domain or that company. But it may not be a universal that like every website would follow. And so I wouldn't say to like every e-commerce site, yeah, you should follow the Wayfair model or no, you should follow this model is because there's going to be those other nuances into the actual application. But it's like, again, it's coming back to like, well, what's the objective? What's like, what are we trying to achieve? And then applying the solution to it. Right. And you have to sit back. And if you're new to it, if you're new to a company, right, if you are going from somewhere small and you were the best of the best at what you were doing, you go into a big company, you know, what worked for you there isn't necessarily going to work for you here. So you have to like, I'm a big fan of sitting back and getting a lay of the land and just learning from the people who've been doing the work before, you know, I just, I don't like the bull in a China shop approach. And I try really hard not to do that myself and not be the, because I said so, because that doesn't build good relationships. There does come a time when you, you might find yourself where you have to say that, but I would say to your point that each individual strategy or approach is kind of like a fingerprint or a snowflake. There's no two that are the same. And it really depends on 
who's developing the site, who's optimizing the site, and the variety is infinite. Absolutely. You have your best practice, general principles, and then you just go from there to like keep that base, core base knowledge in the back of your mind at all the time. And knowing that at one point you're going to throw it all out the window and do this. So that's why even like we have AI now, I, I don't think any of us are in, are in any danger of losing our jobs. <laughs> because as as long as there's Google, we're going to have jobs. <laughs> and I mean, and I'd say with that too, it's it's a really good teaser for our next episode in our conversation tomorrow on the relationships. So I think with that, we'll leave everyone waiting for more on it. But that wraps up this episode of the Voice of Search podcast. Thanks to Donna Donahue from Antilia Scientific for joining us in part two of this conversation, which will be published tomorrow. Donna and I are going to continue this conversation. We'll pick up from the teaser and dive a bit deeper into building relationships with developers and C-level management. If you can't wait until the next episode and you'd like to learn more about Donna, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in the show notes, or you can contact on Twitter where her handle is at Celtic Bella L-A-Z or visit her company's website at Intelia.com. Okay. Thanks to Tyson Stockton, our guest host. If you'd like to get in touch with Tyson, you could find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter where his handle is Tyson underscore Stockton. Or if your team is interested in SEO consulting or organizational education, you can always head to their company's website, which is previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. And a special thanks to Previsible for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for support with all of your SEO needs, Previsible's integrated consulting model is there for you. They draw on a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to help you unlock your organic search and growth opportunities. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, and Square, all who rely on SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. And a special thanks to Ahrefs for sponsoring this podcast. Monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools. But that's not the case anymore, thanks to Ahrefs. Because they just launched their Ahrefs Webmaster Tools product, which monitors your SEO health, helps you keep track of your backlinks, and gives you the insight into what keywords are performing for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's Ahrefs, A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to voicesofsearch.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is Voices of Search on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet, and you want a daily stream of SEO and content marketing insights in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, remember, the answers are always in the data. 